Welcome to the South Carolina Lexi Podcast. I'm Vicki, and in a minute we're going to have an interview with Marjorie Hammock, all-around badass and former social worker, although this, those might be the same thing. But for now, I'm going to give you a quick little community events calendar. On April 3rd, which is tomorrow, um, at 6 p.m., the New Lexi Project will be meeting at the what we call the Academy, which is 2015 Marion Street, which is the building next to the Majeska School. We look forward to seeing you if you can make it. And then two weeks hence, we'll be meeting again at 6 p.m. at that building. So if you can't make this one, try for the next one. And in addition, I wanted to um, mention that we will be having the South Carolina Progressive Network Spring Conference on Saturday morning. I believe it begins at 10 a.m. and it will be at the Sand Hills Clemson Extension um, in the clubhouse. You can find more information on the South Carolina Progressive Network website. I hope that you can join us for that. It will be an all-day event and if you want lunch or dinner, you can buy a ticket on the South Carolina Progressive Network website or see our Facebook event. So anyway, Back to the show. I hope you enjoy the interview. I know I do. So, welcome back. So, welcome back to the New Legacy Podcast. Uh, my name is Wayne. I'm here today with our special guest uh, for our continuing intergenerational interviews, uh, which we'll probably just start calling "Corrupting the Youth." Uh, it was <laughs> it was something that we had worked on. Uh, for safe, never really got to do it, but you know, might as well make that a regular segment. So, corrupting the youth, part two, uh, part one uh, was an interview with Kevin Alexander Gray, and you can go back. I'm going to follow him. <laughs> you can go back into our uh, into our uh, podcast list and find that. So, we're going to have our special guest introduce herself. But okay. I'll just let you know that her name is Marjorie Hammock. But so, Marjorie, uh, would you please? Tell us a little bit about okay. yourself. Well, I guess to set things in perspective, I am a 80s woman. That means I am in my 80s. So I've been around for a while. Um, and I have a rather transient existence. I was born in Atlanta and the infamous, famous Grady Hospital. And my parents moved north with their employer um, so we ended up in New York City, and then ultimately in Westport, Connecticut, um, on an estate. The, the, the employer was very, very wealthy. So I, had, I lived a relatively privileged life in the sense that I was always comfortable and well-fed, which is obvious. Um, so I, I, uh, and my parents were, as, as they were called in the day, in service. We lived on a 20-room uh, estate with um, a separate cottage, um, which was important because I think my father's employee wanted me to be as far away from him as I could be because I was rather noisy. <laughs> and um, as all children are <laughs> well anyway um, but and there were also very interesting things that came along with the estate i.e. I, a single engine plane which my father flew um, two ships one a 54 foot yacht and the other a sail 20 foot sail um, tennis courts the usual that was largely maintained or assisted in the maintenance of by my parents. I went to the local school. I was the only black child until the 10th grade. Encountered relatively little, if any, overt hostility or name-calling or any of that. But um, as a matter of fact, those some of those kids really got on my, <laughs> my nerves. One, we didn't share the same kind of music. Obviously. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your music experience, because <laughs> I think I've heard this one before. Well, I, I spent a lot of time from the time, from the time I guess I was about seven or eight years old, went into New York with my father, went to the Apollo on a regular basis, hung out with him and 
mm-hmm. various bars up and down 7th and 8th Avenue, heard music. Mm-hmm. Uh, Count Basie, Duke Ellington. Um, so, uh, there, uh, and, and then they had a set of friends. Their friends, by the way, in the most instances, were also from the South, mm-hmm. had also moved, were also working in various, uh, mm-hmm. in that whole migration thing. So they maintained a network um, that was very helpful for me, because mm-hmm. uh, that was my family for all practical purposes. And they took very good care of me. Um, and, and rather robust conversations all the time. Mm-hmm. about race and issues and politics. And again, the, 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 the duality of the existence in terms of being in this all-white community for all practical purposes with these, these segments where I could, in fact, be surrounded totally by black people, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think it really did contribute to my health. In, in all kinds of ways, and they were very protective. And also informative. So that's where these long conversations, mm-hmm. you know, about what Adam Clayton Powell was doing. And, and um, Ebony Magazine, that was a big deal mm-hmm. when that came in, because we read what was going on in the rest of the black American world. What's, what's one article from there that was really formative for you then? I'm going to ask, Ebony and Ebony. Well, there had to be some good ones. Oh, they were all good, uh-huh. as far as I was concerned, because they talked about mm-hmm. black people. Mm-hmm. And what they, they, they uh, again, it, it was probably um, expanded in terms of, of, of more good than anything else. Mm-hmm. Of course, they talked about um, police brutality and mm-hmm. racism and stuff like that and all of the horrible things, but also they talked about people's success. And, of course, mm-hmm. all of the uh, artists were always extolled. And, and, you know, Duke Ellington yeah. and Count Basie and all those great they, jazz they, and, Well, not only the jazz musicians, but the performers. Okay. Uh, early on, um, the Harry Belafonte's who, uh-huh. when he was yeah. young and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but even before then, um, um, the, the, the performers who... Paul Robeson, for instance, mm-hmm. remained our hero uh, and was extolled in there. And, and whenever he was around, we would go hear him mm-hmm. sing. And this was all during or before your high school age? This is doing and including high school. Okay. Right. right. As I said, I traveled with him rather early on. I was, I was probably in middle school. Mm-hmm. That's uh, awesome. And, and so... Uh, and so that life up until and through high school was mostly in between kind of the New York, Connecticut area. And so how did you make your way? Early on, early on. My summers were spent in Atlanta with my respective grandmothers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was all black mm-hmm. <laughs> on a street, Atlanta, dead center Atlanta. With with two very different experiences with mm-hmm. with with the 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 rather proper and religious um, take a shower change clothes have tea maternal grandmother mm-hmm. and <laughs> the raucous across town we don't get up before ten mm-hmm. <laughs> and we go see some friends and we end up in a card game somewhere mm-hmm. we're gonna get some good food. But she was wasn't gonna prepare it. But anyway, <laughs> and, and exposure to the Black Atlanta community, which was just outstanding, out overwhelming our own drugstores and doctors' offices. And, mm-hmm. Atlanta uh, and the five campuses right there in mm-hmm. in walking distance of their both their houses. Where did you go to school after college? I know you went to school. I went to Howard University. Well, take it. I went to Spelman for a year. Spelman uh-huh. is in Atlanta. In Atlanta. And that was my mother's school. Yeah. And um, um, she didn't graduate, but that she did. She attended, as did my mother-in-law, uh, who also wasn't from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But I went to Howard. And that is probably the most important experience of my life. So tell us a little bit about it. Well, number one, all black. Number two, black, 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 black. <laughs> 
All of my edu- all of my educators mm-hmm. were, of course, of color, um, with incredible, incredible credentials and experiences of their mm-hmm. own. So they could talk about oh, witnessing lynchings, for instance. Mm-hmm. They could talk about. Uh, um, the United Nations and what that meant. Um, they had, so many of them had connections with African countries even then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, they would talk about their experiences in Sierra Leone, in Ghana, in Nigeria, mm-hmm. um, in Egypt, um, which was, there was a growing African history Mm-hmm. Um, presence going on. And I say growing, it was already established, but it was growing even more in mm-hmm. my time. Mm-hmm. So I was exposed to that. And so when you made it to South Carolina, I kind of want to stick on the theme of the HBCUs for a moment okay. because we have two HBCUs here in Columbia. And uh, Orangeburg, very close. Yeah, Benedict uh, University, Allen University, uh, Claflin and South, South Carolina, Carolina State. State. Morris. Morris, Morris College. Yep. There's Voorhees as well. Voorhees. Yeah. In Denmark. Yeah, I was um, with, with, what's his name? Uh, Cleveland Sellers. Cleveland Sellers. Yeah, so, so in your experience at Howard and just how formative and deeply affecting that continues to be, that experience... Um, when you did make it down to South Carolina and you got to see some of the HBCUs here, um, what thoughts did you have about the schools here? Um, how how important do you think we had a they chapel play? at Howard, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't mandatory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was one of the initial di- differences when I got to Spelman mm-hmm. that I was supposed to go to church. At Spelman. At Spelman. And that had never been a part of my life. Thank you, parents. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so uh, some of the same factors, um, seeing credentialed, educated people occurred on both campuses. Mm-hmm. Howard was worldwide, you know, in, in terms of who was attending school as well as who was teaching. Mm-hmm. So we had international professors in larger numbers than, say, a mm-hmm. Spelman might have or a Benedict might have. Mm-hmm. Not, not to say that they didn't have them. Um, so, and, and a sense of being in charge mm-hmm. of absolutely everything was also very, very... And, and setting the standards, setting... The uh, determining the climate and really just really feeling good about yourself mm-hmm. was heavily enforced at a place like Howard. So, so what brought you? So, what and when brought you to okay. South Carolina? Nineteen seventy-six. <laughs> seventy-six. It began. Uh, my husband, my then husband, a physician, uh, had lived all of his life. In, in Brooklyn and wanted a quieter existence. Um, <laughs> that face. And wanted another experience because all of his, he went to Howard Law, uh, Howard Med School, by the way. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he, um, he wanted to move. So, and he did. He moved in 76. And convinced me that it was proper for me to bring his two children mm-hmm. <laughs> to Columbia, South Carolina. It was not pleasant. Mm-hmm. I did not I did not fit in any kind of way. And I lost a lot of, of a lot of my experiences um, and relationships uh, in New York that I really did cherish. Mm-hmm. And just the lifestyle, you know, walking out and getting the subway and going uptown. And I was politically, very heavily politically involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so and lived across the street from Shirley Chisholm. Well, that, and, and that's, that's what that, I, w- I want to talk about yes, next. That's a fantastic segue. So, uh-huh. so, so, so let's talk a little bit about that early politicization 
of yourself. Uh, we're familiar with a little bit of your experience with Shirley Chisholm. It goes further back too. She she's got more good stories. <laughs> I know she does. That's okay. We're gonna dig them all. We're gonna try to dig uh-huh. them all out. Um, so well, again, so- I and 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 to be to be honest, my political experience starts off with core. It's dead in the middle of everything. And, and going what is on. and what is core? What was core? Congress of Racial Equality? All right. I can't believe. Well, it's not simply that I don't know. We're also got we also okay. got listeners who don't know. don't know. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> forgive me. Forgive me. Uh, which was um, North and South activity very heavily involved. Uh, pro uh, pre SNCC, mm-hmm. pre all of those, con- and and it was an integrated initially an integrated um, organization, um, and in fact, voting rights. Um, police brutality, all of the equal rights uh, were their activities throughout different parts of the South and in places like Philadelphia and Brooklyn, New York, mm-hmm. where there was a chapter. And we, 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 um, we tackle things, and I was very much involved initially with things like um, fair employment and, and, and particularly challenging the unions. Mm-hmm. That were just as rigid as any other entity. Of you, course, you can, right? That unions were what? You can say racist. You can <laughs> say racist. I was going to go with white, white supremacist, but racist white, works yeah. too. Big time, big time. Uh-huh. And of course, the irony of that is that we had immigrants mm-hmm. who were in the leadership of this racism. Mm-hmm. And so you had Italian people telling you that you were inferior. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they came off some wee small little island, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and when their parents or grandparents got here, were likely told by the that community they were, that, that, that they exactly, were in that they weren't exactly. yeah exactly. So anyway, that was that was a major part and open housing, mm-hmm. and I, I I know Trump's housing that oh. was restricted. I know I didn't I didn't picket it. We had a. Uh, what was it called? Open housing, it was called, but it had another name too. And it was our responsibility is to pair up and go and apply for an apartment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a white couple would do likewise and stuff, and mm-hmm. so then we could charge them with discrimination. I did that for a couple of years mm-hmm. um, as part of the, uh, that whole umbrella that was at, at the time CORE. Mm-hmm. And, and CORE got pretty radical in some instances. In, in New York City, in, in the in the northeastern core of it. Mm-hmm. And so did and so did that work segue into your uh, work with the Shirley Chisholm campaign? The what first happened, what we literally started mm-hmm. uh, a political club, you know, clubs mm-hmm. that are a, a, really your basis of your political structure. And we were in the 41st uh, district, and it was largely run by Italians, Jews, and Irish. And that's where the power was in terms of, course. of all of the things that come with that. And it was a, a changing neighborhood, and we thought that the club needed to change, too. And so literally, we, we found a candidate, um, Judge Jones, Judge Thomas Jones, who became the leader and ultimately the um, assemblyman to go to Albany uh, from that district Mm because it was now our club, and I was vice president of the club. Uh, So I had (laughs) responsibility as a social worker for the patronage that sort of went on. People needed housing and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But Shirley came into the club at some point or another. She had a responsibility for nursery schools. She was had some leadership in that area and I think that early childhood was her background. And as you've seen those pictures with the hat, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's just the way she looked <laughs> and sounded. She spoke, she spoke very proper English. Um, and she was funny though, she had a great sense of humor. And so again, one of my early responsibilities, oh, ultimately, two, three years later, mm-hmm. um, uh, Jones gets uh, a judge appointment, a judgeship appointment. And so the seat in Albany is vacant. 
and Shirley Runsworth. And it was my responsibility to share with two other people, um, Pat Carter and Tom, and, and, uh, Tom Cooper, um, who were essentially, really, um, Judge Jones's henchmen. They were, they, they were the political activists within the, tr- mm-hmm. in the club. But I, one of the things that she needed was uh, movement, and so I became kind of a driver with them. Mm-hmm. And I say that because they, you know, pick her up early in the morning, get her to whatever speaking place um, for the campaign when the campaign really actively started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I stayed in that role off and on, though she 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 had other formal assign people mm-hmm. who, who who helped her with her her doing her her, her uh, lobbying business did did she win oh yes oh yeah, yeah. she won two two terms as a matter of fact mm-hmm. before she ran for for the for the US house yeah mm-hmm. that's awesome mm-hmm. so you mentioned something to me earlier about Adelaide Stevens want to talk about that experiment <laughs> well that went way way back uh-huh. that was in the 50s and I was in high school, mm-hmm. and I'm not clear, really clear, about how I got involved with the local club. Mm-hmm. I lived in Westport, and the club actually was in Norwalk, which was the next city over, mm-hmm. not far. But I didn't have a car, and so I relied on um, a, an older woman, an older white woman who was very active in politics, and she said, you know, I will take you to the club so you can see what we do. And that's how I got kind of involved. And there was a whistle stop, and he came through Norwalk, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. A whistle stop. Oh, oh I'm, the train okay. where, where the candidate rides and stops at the ex- uh, And speaks and from speaks, the train? Speaks from the train. Well, indeed. Okay. Whistle stop. Mm-hmm. All right. And... That that that's sort of a thing that has died out now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But trains. That, I mean, that was a major. Um, mm-hmm. What Trump does in terms of flying to a place and these rallies, mm-hmm. quite similar uh-huh. to that. That that predates his activity that way, mm-hmm. because the people would gather around the train stop, and because uh, it was it was the campaign train. Uh-huh. And they would gather around when it would stop in town, and I mean, literally, you could make a ma- four or five major stops in a given state, like Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And so it was very practical. So you went to the whistle stop. I went to the whistle stop, and I actually shook hands with him. Nice. <laughs> that was my big moment. <laughs> uh-huh. And he was running against Eisenhower, right? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and so, I kind of want to use some of those experiences to then jump into some of your uh, more present and recent South Carolina activity. Those formative experiences in your youth um, give us a sense, especially for a lot of the young people who might be listening to our podcast, how critical and and, and just like useful and, and how long term, you know, some well, of those experiences Well, I had no home here. Mm-hmm. Um, political home in the true sense of the word. It was a little rough trying to find the the Democratic Party at the time didn't give me any much hope. <laughs> so um, I hear that's a long term problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but continue. Who I did run into early on and accidentally was John Roy Harper. Is that a name you know? That is not a name I know. No. Tell us about him. Both of you all need to do a little research on him. He was a bad brother. Um, he was the, the NAACP's official lawyer off and on. They fall out and come back together. But he did... He did single-member districting, all of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. He did the early work for it and was key, was sharp as he could be. Was not well-respected. Um, but again, I just sort of started following around and, and seeing what he was doing and mm-hmm. um, learning the, the... and I Oh, and I got a job here as the executive director for um, the Social Work Association. And that was a part-time job. 
with one major, major um, effort, and that was to secure licensing for social workers in the state of South Carolina. This mm -hmm. is circa uh, 80, mm -hmm. beginning in 80. And so I assumed the role, really, of a lobbyist for this effort and started running around and sitting around talking to people. <laughs> One of my first devotees was um, Senator Patterson. Okay. Okay. Who was extremely helpful. Senator Kay Patterson, mm -hmm. uh -huh. whom, we, whom we recently had the opportunity to... to I got to meet him. You got to basically reintroduce yourself. <laughs> uh, Dr. K. He calls me Senator his grandmother. Okay. Because <laughs> he says that it's the only, the only other person who would whip his ass. Because <laughs> I would hound him when I was working on this bill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So apparently Senator K. Patterson has a very colorful oh, uh, oh, he language. Is. And, uh -huh. and, and on the floor. And he can he, give a speech. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so continue. Okay. So that was that. That was a very important person early on. Um, can't remember his name, but he was out of York. Uh, there were several people who were also instrumental in the bill. John Matthews, another person, uh, still serving, I believe. Mm -hmm. And and I think he was in the House at the time. I don't think he was in the Senate. Okay. But uh, yeah, um, who else locally? Leon Howard later on became a real, because uh, he was a part of that committee, HHA, which was very important for us. And I got to understand, and understand is the only word I can use, the nature of politics here. Mm -hmm. South Carolina's different than New York, I imagine. No, still, it is. It Do really you? is, in, in, in a number of ways. Well, okay. number one, good old boys are everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, but they take on a particular quality in South Carolina. Uh -huh. um, and, 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 and also it's a deal. Mm -hmm. um, and, and nothing is solid. It's very elusive here yeah. is a term that I would use. But by the same token, a lot of stuff is fixed. Mm -hmm. And it has been since... Probably 1895. Emancipation, at least. <laughs> <laughs> that, that works, too. I was thinking to myself, well, the Constitution was in 1895. <laughs> so, again, it, and, and, uh, continuing to learn and meeting people, uh, forging re re relationships, as usual, mm -hmm. developing, getting, for instance, assisting social workers, and understanding that if they wanted this licensure bill, they had to fight for it. Mm -hmm. um, because there was a considerable opposition. To, you know, as one, one senator said to me, um, darling, we, um, my wife is a social worker, and she don't have no license. She don't have no degree. But she's doing what she's doing, and we don't have to mess with that. Oh, my goodness. Bless his heart. <laughs> that, okay. So, so, again, uh -huh. those were different kinds of experiences and learning. Uh, mm -hmm. But, I mean, the, the fight was the same. Nothing had changed. It was still a matter of, of securing uh, liberty and justice for all. So, you came here in 76. and 79. 79? Yeah. Yeah. You came here in 79, and you immediately got the job and started working on that. Mm -hmm. What was your next step after that was complete what to do next let's see stayed around there and that was part-time that was number one we couldn't have that and again um through the social work organization again relationships and stuff oh no that wasn't the first one my first job was a federal job i was working for head start federal mm -hmm. atlanta office evaluating assessing and providing support for social social service staff in Head Start programs, mm -hmm. which were relatively new in South Carolina. They yeah. came here late, like everything else. Like everything else, yeah. Um, like I, so. I know that when I went to kindergarten, it still wasn't required that mm -hmm. kids go to kindergarten. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Much less the social work program. But anyway, mm -hmm. so that was, a, so I, I, I really had some distance from the state in the true sense of the word, but the flip occurred 
it it developed a whole new base for me statewide mm -hmm. of the people because the activists were the folks who started the social work programs throughout the of state. Of course, that makes perfect sense to me. And uh, so I got to meet that network, and uh, which was incredible. Um, and bits and pieces of stuff was always going on. There was always a campaign to, to, to work in, mm -hmm. even if I didn't do it formally. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't even remember when and how. It laid in the game. Let's see, what was my next job? Oh, uh, the biggest change in my life was a real formal, you go to work every day job. <laughs> uh -huh. But this one had bars on it. I, I, I succumbed to a request of a friend and I, came, I went to a women's program in, in the prison system mm -hmm. and started um, a program for folks, for women who were on work release and out in the community, but coming back to the, to the, to the uh, facility every night. And then all of the problems that they came up with. And then they put those women in the same facility with a group of seniors and elderly and handicapped. And so I was charged to come up with programs for them too. Mm -hmm. And also to do some training to assist um, the, um, the officers with um, appropriate interaction uh, with old people, uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> young girls. Uh -huh. um, um, and that, that whole climate of, 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 of inmate that didn't quite fit the norms. And then I ended up staying, and they had, they had a lawsuit, which I helped collect data on, um, against uh, improper treatment. And I got a job as director of social work for the department. That's amazing. Now, <laughs> can, you, can you tell us a little bit about some of the programs you ran? Um, ran, well, again, initially my programs had to do, as I said, with that clientele that I had. Mm -hmm. um, but when I became the, the, the um, director, and then I was responsible for the staff of a hundred and something mm -hmm. people, and we had training programs for them to develop programs that were appropriate, everything from um, uh Preparation for returning to the community, which mm -hmm. I understand they've cut out now. Of course they have. Mm -hmm. It's South Carolina. But, uh, and, and, and it, by the way, one other thing that I will say that of, of all of the leadership in the state, um, our director of corrections mm -hmm. was very, very good. He That's was wonderful. He was a sensible man. He understood his... His clientele, including his clients as well as his 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 staff, mm -hmm. he understood this po politics too, mm -hmm. and he could he could operate with them very well. That that's all gone. All of course, gone. all of the standards now in terms of the health standards mm -hmm. are not being met. We had a full medical um, staff, and we worked social work worked with them. Um, but we had treatment programs, sex offender programs, um, things that would rehabilitate programs uh, that would help the the, mm -hmm. the prisoners. We or the even those folks. early days and before before I got here, they had they had college um, um, preparation, mm -hmm. college preparation, and college courses being taught on the campuses mm -hmm. in four or five different places throughout the state. Mm -hmm. And and how. About well, so so how long into your tenure, or or even after, did you notice that, or start hearing from you know old employees that those things were starting to be? Um, governor kind of... number three, well, to a degree, Carol Campbell began a downward trend. You know, more punishment and stuff. Mm -hmm. So it was in the nineties, roughly. I think so. Yeah, that, that doesn't yeah. surprise me. But the, the real killer, and that's no exaggeration, was, um, what was his name? He was absolutely awful. Beasley? Mm -mm, after Beasley. Um, Hodges? You're talking about the governor. I'm talking about the... Oh, okay. What is this man's name? You'd think I'd never forget it. But anyway, he, uh, he came in and, and, and uh, 
You're all talking about the, the head of the department. Yes. Okay. All, right, of the gotcha. Af- all of the African Americans had to wear sculptured hairdos, you know, that he condemned appropriate. He really wanted to skin them all. That um, makes me very uncomfortable. Cut, cut back um, health care mm-hmm. and nurses, what they could and could not do, prescriptions. Said we didn't need social work, they should be abolished. And, and so, and, and this was in. This had to be in the ni- early nineties. Mm-hmm. This was around the time when the Clintons and well, yeah, the, and the, the, this yeah. guy ultimately went to Florida and got arrested and went to jail. But anyway, oh, that's nice. Yeah, they should have sent him back to his own jails. <laughs> that's my opinion. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just from bitter. The commissary, I'm told. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I'm also taking on another. Well, I waited really until I finally left the. Uh, left corrections, which was about 15 years that mm-hmm. I was actually there. Mm-hmm. And I started doing death penalty cases. Uh, I was hired to do all background information on the defendant and his mm-hmm. family and use that information uh, during the sentencing, mm-hmm. which was fascinating work, scary stuff. But anyway. Um, I had a friend of mine who worked for the Indigent Defense Fund fairly recently. And uh, she told me stories, so I can only imagine what yeah. that was. So, it, but it was very, very interesting. Met a lot of interesting people. Mm-hmm. Um, and see what was my next. And then someone offered me a job to teach at Benedict. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, "Okay, we can do that." What'd you teach at Benedict? Tell us. Social work courses, of course. Mm-hmm. And and I take it that all of your prior political experience and the experience of uh, seeing these transformations in the lives of the, the I don't I don't want to the incarcerated individuals um, played a role in some of the direction that you took in your teaching oh yeah of course yeah I learned a lot from working in corrections I really did mm-hmm. um, staff, the nature of being there, uh, the inmates and their stories. I mean, I had no idea what criminal justice really was in this country until I started working there. Um, yeah, that was truly an eye opener. What what was what was one of the biggest takeaways from your time there that you certainly imparted on your students, but but that you you even still now carry still with you? Of, well, yeah. I, I I I guess number one. Humanity is something to fight for all the time, everywhere. Uh, You can't let it go for even a moment. And you have to watch your own self to make sure that you don't buy into the negative stuff that that occurs. Mm -hmm. You know, when you want to blanket everybody with with a given kind of behavior, um, or you want to, you you, you really are too busy (laughs) to hear this little old story mm-hmm. that you've heard before mm-hmm. um, and, and, and make sure that you hang on to its importance um, and, 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 and constantly be aware of your own development and your own growth mm-hmm. and make sure that you nurture that. And, and, and do you see, and to some degree... And social work mm-hmm. ought to be political. It should, yeah. Yeah, so, so, so we'll get to the social work should be political okay. quite real quick. <laughs> but, but just before that, um, those 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 things that surprised you about the criminal justice system that really that you noticed and, and, and want to keep are those things that you don't see as much in specifically the black community or in kind of just our society every day now. You know the fact that people so quickly, you know, broad stroke everybody, mm-hmm. that we seem mm-hmm. to be losing a sense of our humanity considering some of the, the issues that we're dealing with as a nation. It's, it's exaggerated, but it ain't new. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. It's not new. And so, and, so, and so to the point that social work should be political, where, where does that come from? I mean, clear, like, clearly you have your own past. But, but well, I think where that, that really the history of the profession. I think that, 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 that we were change agents from get. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's our role and function. Um, there is a very strong um, 
private practice, and I don't put them down. They're important, therapeutic, uh, human development kind of focus in there. But there also has to be, if we're committed to change, and I think we ought to be, significant change, then we still have to be activists, and we have to challenge. And do you do you feel or, or, or do you notice changes because you're a retired social worker mm-hmm. so do you hear that there that there is some loss of that that there is less challenge and more a focus on you know well we're social workers but we just kind of stay in well, this it lane or... it depends on where you are okay and of it course. depends on what the leadership in, in in the particular educational setting um, some are very activist um, and, 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 and understand that and convey that to their faculty and to their students. Mm-hmm. Um, others are boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cause so cause there's this idea, too, of kind of a, like a non-governmental organization, like model where you know, it's more charity and they try to just, you know, perform certain services or functions that government has been pulling away from or simply just divesting wholeheartedly. Mm. Um, do you have any thoughts on Well, I on think, that, a, I, interestingly enough, because I have been talking to some of my colleagues um, around Allen Benedict Court, and every, many people... As a matter of fact, I was in a group that were that, that was was developing food supplies and and and, and personal stuff mm-hmm. for some of the residents who were making all of these transitions and were lacking stuff. So I was with them. It's a group called DERM, uh, um, um, Disaster Emergency ER, Relief Ministry. Mm-hmm. It operates out of First Nazareth Church. They've been around for 15, 16 years maybe. And they respond to disasters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got involved with them. So, And I'd been out of town when they started really doing some action. Uh, I was gone. But when I came back, so they put, they put me to, to, to work um, helping pack food packages for people. Um, and they did that, and they did some 500, I think they said, Tuesday and Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, what they talked about, some of them actually grew up in the homes, mm-hmm. and they were well kept. You know, mm-hmm. they weren't luxurious by any means, mm-hmm. but they could live there, and, and, and they had the support of the neighbors. Um, um, and um, they witnessed and could talk about the tearing apart of those those relationships and those neighbors, mm-hmm. and uh, and also notice that the 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 loss of really good maintenance of the structures, safety, that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. that they really were allowed to deteriorate because these people don't count. And and we'll and you can find uh, more about the situation. Uh, or surrounding Alan Benedict Court in the New Legacy Extra. That, that uh, will be published by the time we, we publish this. So. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, so you can go back and revisit uh, that episode. Do you know Diane Sumter? I don't know Diane uh, Sumter. Diane Sumter is a lo- local African-American woman. Social worker by training, even though she keeps trying to hide it. Um, um, but she's a... Fairly, fairly successful businesswoman does a lot of contract work, um, and she was asked to manage this recovery, mm-hmm. and so that's I've been getting my stories from her, and, mm-hmm. and, and she points out again that there was you know even before Trump and his that that silly man that he put in front of Hood. Um, oh, jeez. Then Carson. Miss <laughs> um, Marjorie's face is fabulous right now, just so y'all this know. This is why I can't sit next to her at events. <laughs> she and I will talk about people. Uh, but anyway, uh, again, just a, just a, 
um, a destruction of what what was good about mm-hmm. um, a, a country, a nation saying we need to supply adequate housing, period, mm-hmm. end of report. Um, but again, he, he being the leadership at the housing authority has no support, has no resources, you know. And so that's how those buildings get out of mm-hmm. control. And you're, and you're not even talking about the federal level when you're talking about... Well, I'm saying it just it, it it bounces trickles down. down. Yeah. It trickles down, but yeah. again, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because there because there certainly would have had to have been... Some, Oversight? Some failure, uh, certainly, at the local level. But there certainly would have had to have been some failures from the federal state. And, that was, and, and, and I'm su- I am suggesting that what kind of leadership we've had, that, 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 that failure is deliberate for those people who don't want government to be paid to making sure they, they that want people to punish have. people mm-hmm. they don't want to to help them they want to punish yeah. them and that is just reprehensible in my opinion yeah, because because apparently in our society no being poor is no longer simply a condition of you know people taking advantage of you it's now a character flaw mm-hmm. so I want, so what do you see Kind of in the in the near future, like do you like what are your some of your um, thoughts on like where we might be going? Well, number one, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, I it, it it really is kind of disheartening just to look around and seeing even things that were adequate. Mm-hmm. Let me just say that adequate, like for instance, health services in in the Department of Corrections and a fairly decent uh, educational system. Um, and it didn't Trump say something about he wants to, the federal government to fund vouchers? Oh, yeah. I thought I heard that. Yeah. And so, again, we, we are even losing our commitment to education and safety and health. And, and again, it's not, not, not progressing it's it's we will remove services and stuff that that depresses me but we have no choice we still have to raise some cane Mm -hmm. that's what what you're still doing even today (laughs) i i appreciate working with miss marjorie on some of the things we work on together um so tell us how you gotten involved in the progressive network how'd you get here you know i have really no definitive recollection and it just sort of happened I don't even know what I went to I can't remember I, I thought about that because I knew you all were coming you were there um but I guess I and I, I'm, I'm sure I was looking for something and um because I can say to myself now what I needed at that time and I still do uh is that just that a progressive agenda that continues to address issues, uh, that's integrated, mm-hmm. that um, has considerable outreach, mm-hmm. uh, and is not afraid. Um, I think those are the things that so that drew you to it. And, and yeah, and the other thing was was age. There there were a lot of old people. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, I got a few more like me here. Yeah. So so for young people. Who are listening uh, to but the podcast? But it's a mix. It's a mix, yeah. and that's what makes it wonderful that yeah. there are, in fact, people, young folks, and 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 a really what appeals to me is the impact that the school has had. Mm-hmm. The Majeska Simpkin School for Human Rights. Right. That's amazing. So so I so yeah so I want to get you to to I guess if you had a message to younger people about. Um, why they? Why even though you know maybe they are discouraged, maybe they don't see political participation as you know worth their time or effort because you know as young as a lot of people seem to think, you know these politicians and everybody else is just going to grind us along and then do what they want. But so what? What thoughts? Well, do you I, have guess, for I, I guess I guess the 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 um, that I'm hopeful because I do see. Um, a great deal of effort on, the, on behalf of, of, of young people. And in some instances, they are doing um, with less and, and 
anxiety. They are doing a lot of things that 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 propel them into the business at hand. I mean, they, they, it's almost like they're coming to it naturally, though I know they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it and and there is a lot to be hopeful for. You know, your very lives um, are at stake, so you have mm-hmm. really little no or no choice. Mm-hmm. But I think the other thing is that they're that I have had an ex- a lot of fun doing this work. Mm-hmm. I really have enjoyed. And a victory is just incredible. It makes up for Especially everything. in South Carolina. Yes. yes, yes. Um, so so. I, I, I would encourage folks to get involved. Yeah, if not with the Progressive Network, Ooh, then so. another mm-hmm. local organization. Mm-hmm. And I do have one more question for... Go right ahead. All right, so... In the era of Stacey Abrams and Kamala Harris and some of the other pretty powerful women who are running now, um, what do you what do you think Shirley would say? Oh, she would be so pleased. Oh, uh-huh. she would be so pleased. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. And 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 uh, when when he did his State of the Nation and and the women all got up in the in, in uh-huh. the white, yeah. she would have liked that. But it's the other thing, she liked to dress up. So I noticed. Uh, you know, everybody had on something special, like they had kente cloth around their uh-huh. necks or scarves and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, she'd be very pleased. and, and she, But she'd also say, it is about time. Uh, I agree with her. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I just, that was all I had. I, I was curious. No, that's fine. That's fine. Right. Uh, but do you have any other parting thoughts or, or words you'd like to leave us with? You know, just keep on doing what you're doing. See, I have, I can see, I can, I can see manifested what young folks are doing. So, and I'm pleased. I'm pleased. I get all giggly when I'm watching them on television. And some some of them head sisters in the house. Uh I mean, really. I find it interesting. So thank you so much for being with us. And maybe we'll bring you back on when we do a criminal justice episode because I had no idea you had so much experience with that. So, um, yeah. So thank you again for joining us on The New Legacy uh, Marjorie. And thank you for so much, listeners, for joining us at The New Legacy Podcast uh, for another one of our uh, intergenerational interviews, okay. which probably going forward we'll just call corrupting the youth. Corrupting the youth. And, <laughs> I like and, that. And I you, like that. You can find us on Twitter at sc underscore new legacy, and Instagram has is the same one, and then at Facebook at facebook.com slash scnlp. So we hope to hear from you. Tell us tell us what you think of the the interview and what questions you would ask somebody like Marjorie. We'd love to hear it. Thank you so much.